Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for bringing us this morning to come and listen to your word. As we open the Bible once more, help us to understand that this book was purchased with the blood of the martyrs of the saints who preserved it down through the dark ages to our time. Help us, O Lord, to open this book with reverence and with solemnity and with a mind of asking, Lord, what is it that you have us have for us this morning? Please, Lord, bless our time together. Please send us your Holy Spirit that he may illumine our hearts and our minds and draw us closer to you this morning. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. For those that were here yesterday morning, um, we looked at a message of fear God. And I want to recap that really quickly because it's connected to what we're going to be looking at this morning. What does it mean to fear God from the story of Abraham sacrificing or almost sacrificing his son Isaac? What was that? Obedience, but we took it a step further. Even though you don't understand the reason why. And then we looked at this question that I gave you at the very beginning was, what was the purpose of living a righteous life? That purpose, my friends, is not so that we can go to heaven, it's not so that we can have eternal life because that is what we call righteousness by works. We don't live this righteous life just so that we can have entrance into heaven at the end of time. But that is the byproduct of living the righteous life. Amen? There is a blessing for those that do that, but we will not ever become a balanced Christian if we don't learn to what? win souls for Jesus. That was the text that we ended off with yesterday in Proverbs 11 and verse 30. And that is a text that I want to draw your attention to again this morning. Let us go back to Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. Proverbs chapter 11. And we're looking at this text once more, verse 30. The Bible here says, the fruit of the righteous is what? A tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the, those that win souls are wise. So according to this passage, I know it's Hebrew poetry here, but we have a parallelism here that is outlined in this verse. Tell me, according to this verse, who are those that are wise? What is it compared to? It's a tree of life. Those that are wise are like a tree of life. And when you win souls, that is the fruit of the righteous. You're looking at me, but you don't get the answer on my face. You'll have to look at the Bible text there. So those that win souls are those who have fruit. It's the righteous fruits. And those that are wise are the tree of life, or we could also say are those that fear God, correct? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and those that are wise are the ones that win souls. And in other words, the first message in the first angel's message, fear God, are calling us all to be a tree of life. Amen? Are you with me? 
Are you with me? Thank you, thank you. But let us look at this. What is the purpose of a tree of life? The tree of life. What was the purpose of the tree of life? It was to give life. In Genesis 3.22, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said, we have to put an angel there to guard the way to the tree of life so that they don't take of this tree and as a result live forever. So the purpose of God's people here on this earth today is to give people life. No, I'm not saying that they are to be Jesus, but they are to lead others to Christ. Amen? This is the sole reason of why we exist as Seventh-day Adventist people. God did not choose Seventh-day Adventist church because that's how you're going to be saved. That's not why he chose the Seventh-day Adventist church. He chose us because he gave us a mission. And that mission, whether it be in your backyard, whether it be in your family, whether it be down the street, whether it be across the borderline, whether it be across the sea, the only mission that he has given to us is to save souls. Amen. <laughs> but I want to look at this tree of life concept this morning. If you'll please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3 now. It's very interesting that the tree of life is mentioned in several places in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 3 is one of them. And I'm going to start with the end of the conclusion of this. It's in verse 18. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 18, the Bible says, She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. What is she? Who is she? What is this she that is a tree of life? Sounds like a woman already, doesn't it? But let us go back one verse to verse 14. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. We still don't know what this is, but the Bible has attached a gender to it. It is a she. Let's go to verse 11. Pardon me, verse 13. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. What is the subject matter here that we're talking about in verse 13? Wisdom. Or those that fear God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is a she in the sight of the book of Proverbs. Notice what it says. I read verse 14 and I skipped up a bit too much. I'm sorry if you were lost for a minute. But verse 15 is very interesting. She is more precious than rubies. Where else in the Bible does it talk about something being more precious than rubies, my friends? Proverbs chapter 31 let's go there if you're not familiar with this verse proverbs 31 and ladies you need to become familiar with it and gentlemen you also need to become familiar with it proverbs chapter 31 verse 10 the bible says who can find a virtuous woman for her price is what far above rubies a virtuous woman she's hard to find 
She's hard to find. Her price is far above rubies, and the Bible illustrates this in Proverbs 3, that a virtuous woman, yes, in equation to wisdom, she's like a tree of life. I saw some puzzled looks. But you know, woman, you are like a tree of life to your family. Did you know that? You are like a tree of life to your family. You're planted in the garden of your home, and your children and your husband safely trust in you. When they come to eat of the fruits of your labor, they only praise you because you are that tree of life. In Peter, it talks about how a woman out of her good conversation can win her ungodly husband to the Lord. It never says that about a man. You don't find in the Bible a virtuous man. Although we are given a different name. But the woman has the power in the home to convert the husband to convert their children, to bring their children to the Lord. The woman has this big responsibility in the home because she is like the tree of life to the family. She, it is her responsibility above that of the husband to bring her children to the Lord. Yes, we know that the husband is the house band, is the priest of the home, or that is what he should be. But the woman always has the greater power. Have you noticed when women, they, the seven-day Adventist women go and date non-Adventist men and they get married and they bring up their children, the woman always ends up bringing their children to church. She has greater influence over her children than the husband does. So gentlemen, it is even more important that you find the right woman to marry because she will always have more power over you in the home than you will have over her. Woman, you are like a tree of life to your family. Important, important role. Ellen White goes so far to say as that the, the mother, her work is much more important than that of the pastor, the preacher, the missionary, because her influence goes so much further through her children to influence society and to influence nations, she is like a tree of life to her family. In Revelation chapter 22, the Bible also talks about the tree of life and it gives it a very interesting description. Please come with me there to Revelation chapter 22. Because you see, friends, we must be trees of lives wherever we go and whatever we do and wherever we are. God is calling us to be a tree of life in this world today. I'm not saying, once again, for those that are coming in, that we are being like Jesus in a sense that we are replacing him. No, friends, we are to be a tree of life that we may lead people to Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. That is our responsibility. That is our mission. This is what God has called us to today. 
Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1, it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation." There will be the tree of life at the end of time. When we get to heaven, we will have the right, it says further on in Revelation 22, that those who do his commandments will have the right to the tree of life. And as we partake of that fruit, only then will we live forever. Amen. Only then will we be able to enjoy eternity and beyond. Not feel tired like you do this morning. Not feel hungry, feel no more pain, no more death, the tree of life. But it's very interesting. Psalms chapter 1 has a very, very, very strikingly similar description of the tree of life. If you would please go with me to Psalms chapter 1. And we're going to spend some time here this morning as we're looking at this purpose of this tree of life today. Psalms chapter 1, and starting with verse 1. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Tell me, friends, according to this verse, what is the subject matter that we are looking at here? Sorry? A man? What type of man? Godly man. A righteous man. A blessed man. Although it spends a lot of time, most of the verse, I would say in 75 to 80% of the verse, talking about what we should not be, the main subject matter here is the blessed man. And it's very interesting that this blessed man, he's contrasted with a description of this person who walks in the counsel of the ungodly. Then he stands in the way of sinners, and then he sits in the seat of the scornful. Does anybody else have another version out there? What is another word for scornful? Pardon me? Scorner, mocker, to make fun, to deride, right? You know, when people begin to do that, they, we, we don't become mockers overnight. It's a process of time. The person, he's walking in the way, and then he gets tired, so he stands for a while, and he gets more tired, so he sits down. To be unrighteous or ungodly does not happen overnight, friends. It's a process of time. It's what we call in the Bible backsliding. Do you know how the Bible does not say backstepping? Did you know that? 
The Bible does not say backstepping. He's a backstepper. We're going back away from Jesus. It's backsliding because we, we are sliding further and further away, but it's so little that we don't realize it. And at the end of the day, we're mocking God's people. We're making fun of them. We make fun of the message and the messenger. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's a slow, long, drawn-out process. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate how often? Day and night. And then verse 3, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. This is the sort of person that you want on your side. This is the sort of person that you want in your company. This is the sort of person that you want in your church. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But notice the description is so strikingly similar to that of what we find in Revelation 22. You see a river of water, you see the tree, you see the fruits, and you see the leaves. But let me ask you this question. In order for a tree to grow, what does it need? It needs water, what else? Sunlight, anything else? Sorry? Nutrients in the soil, right? But notice the Bible does not describe all of that. It does not describe that the tree is planted in a place where the sun hits its nice, beautiful leaves. But let me ask you this. If the Bible does talk about the sun and the sun only, what is good about the tree then? In order for the tree to soak up the sun's rays, what must be good about it? The leaves. It's been a long time since I've, I've looked into science, so please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe when the sun's rays hit the, 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 the leaves, we have this thing called photosynthesis, is that right? And all these nutrients are, I, I don't know, I'm just gonna leave it at that. I got that part right. But, but in order for this tree to be healthy, and it's saying the sun's rays are hitting it, the leaves are healthy, but that's not what the Bible says. What, what makes this tree have good fruit and good leaves? It's planted by what? A stream. Water is involved, correct? It does not say that it's planted in the rainforest where the, where the temperature is nice and humid and it soaks up the water from the air. No, it says that it's planted next to a river of water. And tell me, friends, in order for the tree to be healthy, what must be good about it? Its roots. Its roots. In order for this tree to be healthy, because we see in Revelation 22, the tree of life has the river of life running right through it. The tree's on both sides. It's got the best of both worlds. But this tree, the fact that the Bible tells us is next to a river of water, it means that what is good about it is its roots, the part that cannot be seen. 
Now, if the Bible says that it's planted next to a river of water and its fruits are bad and its trees, are, its leaves are withering, what is bad about it? Also, its roots. Are you with me? Can you see roots? No. But how do you know that roots of a tree are good? From its fruits and from its leaves. You know, friends, sometimes we as Seventh-day Adventists, we see the fruits of a person is bad. We see their leaves withering. And you know what we do? Why are you doing that? Don't you know any better? Don't you know it's not good to eat late at night? Don't you know it's not good to eat between meals? Don't you know that you shouldn't be playing basketball on Sabbath? Put it away. You know what we do? We pluck off the fruits. Fruits, you're horrible. Get rid of it. Next year, grow good fruits, good leaves. Isn't that what we do so many times? When we preach and we preach and we share, we talk about standards, it's so easy to be a fruit observer and a leaf observer. And we observe and we observe, but you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's what we do after that that becomes the problem. Growing up in a Seventh-day Adventist home, I knew what was right and what was wrong. If my mom came and told me, Ben, you should turn off that TV, you know it's bad. I'll be like, okay, sure. Then she walks out of the house, goes visit my grandma, I turn it right back on. <laughs> Isn't that what happens so many times? That we, we try to fix people from the outside that we don't deal with the roots of the problem. We don't deal with their roots experience and so the next year, the fruit comes out again, and we're shocked because the fruit tastes sour or it's withering away. And then we go, didn't I tell you last year? And we condemn. We become these fruit observers and fruit pickers without ever dealing with the root of the problem. Friends, tell me. According to the three verses we've read in Psalms chapter 1, what is the root experience? What is it? What is the root experience? Don't whisper, I can't hear you. It has to be planted by the stream, yes, but what is the root experience equal to? Just like the tree of life is equal to a person who wins souls for Jesus, right? Or they have wisdom, or they fear God. What is the root experience according to Psalms chapter 1? And I'm going to give you a clue. The answer is not on my face. You're all looking at me, expecting the answer, waiting for it. He's about to give it, but I'm asking you the question, friends. What is that root experience according to Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3? 
They delight in the law of God, what? Day and night. They meditate upon it. I am not here to ask you whether you did your personal devotions this morning. I sure hope you did. Because this must not be a replacement of your time with Jesus. I know at conferences like this, you get so tired, you sleep late, you see your friends, you haven't seen them for a year or a few months or a few weeks, and you want to socialize with them, so you get, get to bed about 11, 12 o'clock, and then you wake up at 6.30, you put on, you shower, and you come and kneel at your bed, and you pray, and you walk out the door. I guarantee you, your fruits cannot be good. Guaranteed. The fruit of a righteous person, the tree of life, is he that wins souls to Jesus. Let me put it simply, friends. Do you know why the church is in trouble? Do you know why Canada is, is a, what do you call this, secular mindset? And we're, we're making excuses to, to why we cannot reach the world for Jesus? The research was done by, by Adventist graduate students from 2003 to 2007. They, interviewed, they looked for the fastest growing Adventist churches in North America that sustained 3 to 5% growth in membership and in tithe for five years. And there were only a handful of churches. And, and they went to the pastors and the lay members and, and they interviewed these, this church that was growing so rapidly. And then they took time to interview three churches around it as to why their church was dying. And the reason that the pastor of the fastest growing church, he gave it, was the same reason of those that were dying, the same reason as to why they were dead. Oh, in Seattle, I know there was one in the north, mid, northwest there. Seattle, it's, it's a secular place. And so it's hard to reach people for Jesus. And then the fastest growing church is like, it's great. Seattle is a secular place. And because of that, we can reach people for Jesus. Canada is not dying or dead because it is secular. Canada, its Seventh-day Adventist churches are dying or dead because people are not having a root experience with Jesus. They come to these conferences and substitute their spiritual life for what the preacher says. That, this morning, is not your root experience. Are you with me? This is why people are not coming to Jesus. Because Timothy says we have a form of godliness. We dress good, we look good, we eat good. And I praise the Lord that so many people are here this morning, you get up early. But could we be missing the very power that God could give us to convert souls and to be a tree of life in Canada? Have you had your root experience this morning? If not, don't answer me. <laughs> I don't need to know. I'm not a priest. You do not confess to me. It's not too late. The day is not over yet. Friends, if you miss breakfast, make sure you have lunch. 
If you miss lunch, make sure you have a mid-afternoon snack. And if you miss that, make sure you eat dinner. Amen? Have you had your root experience this morning? Because the, the byproduct of our devotion with Jesus is a power-filled life with the Holy Spirit. You know, you know what they did in the book of Acts? Peter, he walked past people, and with his shadow, he healed people. I want that sort of power. But you have to have that sort of devotion to Jesus. I want to preach a sermon where 3,000 are baptized in one day. But to do that, you must spend time with the person who converts souls and convicts them of their sin. Our roots experience. I want to share with you some data. Fuller Theological Seminary, I, I shared this with you already, but I wanted to, to share this a bit more and dig a bit deeper. They did a research a few years ago, and they interviewed pastors from North America, from U.S., and the average minister in USA spends about five to seven minutes in prayer every day. The average minister, the person who's meant to be involved with the spiritual affairs of the church, the person who's meant to be presenting these messages and bless people with the Word of God, these people are spending five to seven minutes in prayer every day. Friends, that's not even enough to save your own soul. Never mind reaching the world. I'm taking this from the big, the book, the big, the book, the big four, <laughs> pardon me. It's a research on the SDA church from 2003 to 2007, and they gathered some statistics here. And personal and private prayer of people in the Adventist church. And they interviewed pastors, lay members, elders, deacons, different various people. And 73% of the people that they interviewed spend time daily in prayer. 21% of the people that were interviewed spend prayer once a week. And then the 6%, I don't know. Maybe once a month or never. It's a range out there, right? But only 73% of the people prayed daily. Pretty sad, isn't it? Personal Bible study. Spending time with Jesus and the Word of God every day. 37% studied their Bible every day. 37. I hope these statistics are not true in this conference. I hope it's 100%. But 43% of the people studied their Bible once a week, and I don't know whether that included just coming to church and opening up the Bible. 20%, we don't know. Maybe once a month or never. These are statistics from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And we wonder, why is our church in trouble? It's not because people aren't doing the work. That, yes, is the tip of the iceberg problem. But the root of our problem lies in our own heart with us, whether we spend time with Jesus or not. Now, here's another shocking one. Reading Ellen White's books, only 14% of the Seventh-day Adventist people that were interviewed spend time daily reading her books, 
57%, more than 50%, majority of God's chosen people that have been given a mission and we've been given this prophet in these last days to give us a very, very clear message are not reading it. 29% once a week. I really want to encourage you to spend time in the spirit of prophecy every day. Do you know what the purpose of devotions is? Don't treat it like a work. God, I've prayed 10 minutes today. I've read five chapters of the Bible, which means I will finish the book of the Bible, books of the Bible within a year. I'm righteous. <laughs> Don't treat your personal devotions like the requirements that we need to do and we tick, tick, tick. Personal devotion, friends, is simply this. God speaking to your heart. Sometimes you might not get it from the Bible. That is why I make sure I read Spirit of Prophecy every day. Every day. Only 14% read from our prophet's writings every day. One more, family worship. You know, you don't have, you are a family when you're just husband and wife. You don't become a family when you have kids. You are a family when you are husband and wife. 28% do it daily, 33% once a week, and 39% never. I'm convicted more and more that we really need less preaching. Preaching is not getting the work finished, friends. If people were studying their Bibles, we wouldn't have conferences like this. Because we'd be going out there. I'm sorry, I'm too busy. <laughs> There's like 10 people waiting for me to give a Bible study. <laughs> I gotta go and be about my father's business. <laughs> I don't have time for food. As we heard last night, my meat is to do the will of my father that sent me. The root experience, friends. At the end of the day, many will find that our foundation was not on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. But, you know, God is sending us trials today to help us to realize that. Trials for its purposes, trials are not given that we may just simply develop character. The main purpose of trials is that it may reveal our character. When a person does not pass a trial that God gives us, it's not because he wasn't trying hard enough. It's because he was not spending time with Jesus in his room, in his closet in her private place of prayer. She was not struggling with God to give him, her or him victory over that temper, over that foul mouth, over whatever sin that it may that pervades our lives today. The only thing that can change us is the Bible, friends. It's Jesus. And when he does that, our life will have so much power, so much power that Canada will be reached for God. Toronto will be reached for God. 
our best efforts do not mean anything until we are right with Jesus, that He is our best friend. I want to end with a few quotes. I think I've gotten my point clearly across. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 121. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. You don't get revival from preaching, my friends. A revival can only be expected in answer to prayer if we are not having a root experience our lives will not be revived. The church's lives will not be revived. Canada will not be one to Jesus. They, many of God's people, do not see the importance of self-knowledge and self-control. They do not watch and pray lest they enter into temptation. If they would watch, they would be acquainted with their weak points where they are most likely to be assailed by temptation. With watchfulness and prayer, their weakest points can be so guarded as to become their strongest points, and they can encounter temptation without being overcome. Every follower, does that include us here today? Amen. Every follower of Christ should daily examine himself that he may become perfectly acquainted with his own conduct. There is with nearly all, nearly all, that sounds like 99% to me. There is with nearly all a neglect of self-examination. Do you know that is what we must do in our private time? Have you wondered why sometimes you are not overcoming sin and yet you're still reading the Bible and you're still praying? Let me tell you. It's because we don't go at the end of our day to our room and we start thinking about our day intentionally. Let me read this next part of the quote to you. If ministers would make the actions of each day a subject of careful thought and deliberate review with the object to become acquainted with their own habits of life, they would better know themselves by a close scrutiny of their daily life under all circumstances they would know their own motives, the principles of which actuate them. What does scrutinize mean? It's a critical examination. Critical. We must deliberately, at the end of every day, review our past day's acts and say, God, did I say everything I, that represented you rightly? Were my actions a clear representation of what you should do on this earth as well? And if we find that it is not, let us go in humble prayer to God and ask for His forgiveness and ask for victory over this action or word or thought. We need daily to examine our lives. I'm going to be honest with you. Many days, I'm not happy <laughs> before I go to bed because I'm thinking to myself, Ben, why did you say that? <laughs> why did you do that? Close examination. This daily review of our acts to see whether conscience approves or condemns is necessary. 
for all who wish to arrive at the perfection of Christian character. Friends, do you believe you can be perfect? If you don't, you got to have a big fight on your hands with our sister Ellen White. I'm not telling you you can be perfect. You read it yourself. She's not saying you're perfect garments or eating perfect food. There's no such thing. But we must all perfect our Christian character in Christ. Are you with me? And we, if we do not arrive to this point, I'm sorry, but we will not be part of the 144,000 at the end of time. Because there are many carnal, carnal in terms of, there are many ungodly people out there that wear nice suits and that are vegan. <laughs> I'm not saying that you shouldn't be vegan. I am. I have been for the past three days. <laughs> or two days since we started the conference. We need to review our acts every day. Prayer every day. Have you wondered why our life, sometimes our, our devotions are so dry? You know, we know all of this. I'm not sharing with you anything new. But God says, ask for the old ways. Don't forget how God led us in our, our teachings and our past history. If it worked for them, it will work for you 10 years ago, it'll work for you again. Devotions. It's called the holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, where you find the word of God and prayer and the Holy Spirit. That's all that is needed to revive a person's life. No more. My last quote for you this, this morning. There is but one genuine cure for spiritual laziness, <laughs> and that is work. Working for the souls who need your help. And I want you to see this very, very clearly, okay? Maybe your devotional life is not where it is today. That's okay. Work for souls who need your help. And you will see your devotional life revived. Do you see that? God is not waiting for perfect people to go and do his work. He gives the sinful, erring humanity the opportunity to present salvation before the people. And friends, when you begin to sit down for a Bible study and you give this topic of the second coming to, uh, of Jesus to this person who doesn't know about Jesus, and you tell them, friends, you've got to get your life ready because Jesus is coming soon. We don't know what's going to happen, but I'm telling you at the end of time that everything's going to be burning and it's going to be melting. This iPhone is going to be gone. This pulpit is going to be gone. Your car is going to be gone it reminds you that I need to change my life too. So many times, even in Taiwan, in this past year, as I've been giving Bible study, God reappeals to my heart, Ben, you need to change your life too. You need to reinvestigate how you live your life too. As we work for the souls of other people, it'll cure our spiritual laziness spending time with Jesus. It's a cycle. It's a cycle. Where are you at now? 
Maybe you're not doing any Bible studies. Maybe you're not bringing any souls to Jesus. Maybe you're not spending enough time in your daily devotion or not at all. You go and start working for somebody and you will find the need to go to God in prayer on your knees. Because you come back and it's like, man, that Bible study was horrible. I feel so embarrassed. I'm going to make sure I study the Bible next time before I go out and give a Bible study. Or I'm going to make sure that I, I go and read the Bible properly and go over my sermon ten times before I stand up to preach the next time. It's happened to me. I'm only sharing with you my experience. And you go back to God and say, Lord, forgive me. Because the people have come and they've flown me all the way from Taiwan and I'm giving them this half-baked message because I didn't spend enough time with you. And it changes my spiritual life. Work and pray. Watch, work, and pray. These are the watchwords for the Christian today. Friends, God is not calling you to win Canada today, this morning. He just wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants your attention. And He wants your devotion. He wants to spend time with you that He may fill you up with His Holy Spirit, give you a vision for His work, and then with that Holy Spirit, empower you to do His work. But today, He wants you, not Canada. He wants you. Would you give Him your heart again? Would you go back to your rooms this morning before breakfast begins and say, Lord, forgive me because I've been a Christian with a form but no power. I want to stop today. I'm going to spend time, Lord, today. And I'm going to take it a day at a time. Don't say, Lord, forevermore, I'm going to spend time with you. Just today. I'm going to spend time in the Word of God that when I go out this afternoon knocking on doors, I actually will have power. People may actually want to come to know of you because I'm at their door. Our work could be so much more successful if only we drink from that fountain of life. Let's do that today, shall we? Let us go back and spend that time with Jesus. Let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, you are so patient with us. You look down from heaven, you desire to spend time with your children every morning, every afternoon, and every evening. Lord, fellowship with you, to know you is more or should be more precious than anything else that is out there. Lord, we know this, but yet our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Lord, today, as those that have heard this message, may you remind them, Father, that you still love them, that you still want to do mighty things through their lives. If only they would spend time with you today. Father, especially on this Sabbath day, remind us as our hearts and our minds are not burdened with care and the the pleasures of this world, 
Help us to use our time and not talking with one another, but talking with you, Lord. And if we have not done that this morning, may we leave this place and go straight to our room and say, Lord, draw close to us today. Help us to be a tree of life in Canada today for you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.